0: All right, we are live. I think we're live on YouTube only at this point. We did have a little bit of of discrepancy trying to get some sound stuff going, and I don't think that I can get this up live right now on the Facebook side. We're about to find out. Uh, If not, I promise that we will get this up on Facebook so uh, everybody can enjoy it, and we will... We'll just make things work. So, all right. A um, couple things that I want to get to real quick here for announcements. First and foremost, thanks all of you for waiting, being patient with us out there in the chat, so that we can uh, so that we can get everything going. Um, we had some gremlins in the system. I think they're worked out. But here's the important part: is that I am not flying solo tonight. My beautiful bride is back in her producer's chair, just off to my left your right on the screen and uh she's she's holding it down in the chat which if you're out there making comments then you already know that that's happening so uh so please drop those comments out there in the live chat let us know you're here she's going to uh, keep the list and we get to say hi and thanks for joining us uh real quick just a couple of quick announcements here um we are uh i'll put that ticker on the bottom there uh, we do want you to mash that share button and the like button as well. So make sure that uh, that you're sharing this and uh, helping spread far and wide. Um, we are a proud member, as always, of the Self Defense Radio Network. You can find this show and a whole lot of other amazing shows, Second Amendment and Freedom related, uh, over there at SDRN.us. That is Sierra Delta Romeo November dot uniform Sierra. Make sure you're checking out the self-defense radio network because it's a, it's a very, very cool group to belong to. And we are very proud, very, very humbled to be included in the ranks there. Um, all right, and then last but certainly not least, we usually can go live. Uh, I didn't think ahead to adjust the start time, and so it, it times out after the first 10 minutes, and I think it might have deleted the the videos on, on Facebook. So we'll get those up there as quick as we can probably by tomorrow night. But uh, we are brought to you tonight by Writing Shotgun with Charlie. Writing Shotgun with Charlie is a great interview show that brings you right into the heart of intimate conversations where you can be a fly on the rearview mirror. The show's host, Charlie Cook, talks freedom, firearms, and anything related with guests from all over the country. Filmed within the safe confines of Charlie's stagecoach, that's his car, passengers open up about their lives and what is on their mind. Riding Shotgun with Charlie is available on YouTube, GunStreamer, and the OpsLens app, and most popular podcast platforms, including Self-Defense Radio Network. Visit Charlie on the web at writingshotgunwithcharlie.com. Be sure to check out the swag page for new and always—he's uh, always coming out with new stuff: t-shirts and stickers and patches, all kinds of cool stuff. And you guys know this if you've been here uh, before, or you've been here for a while. But for quite some time, we've had the sticker, both the Gungram and the Writing Shotgun sticker uh, going on up here. So I always say that uh, I've only ridden shotgun once with Charlie, but every week Charlie rides shotgun with me. so very, very cool. Thank you, Charlie for helping us go live to the masses, typically multi-streaming on uh, several different several different platforms here. So all right, uh, we have got a special guest and we're not going to waste a lot of time listening to me talk when uh, we're taking up his time. Um, I can see from from my view, you're not on the screen yet, but uh, it looks like your camera feed might be upside down. so you might have to flip your phone a little bit. And there we go. I don't mind talking to the uh, the top of your forehead. It's fine. But I thought you might want to let me, you might want me, I can't talk, live podcast, live show, don't worry about that. Uh, you might want me to let you know about that. So real quick here, we're going to, uh, we're going to bring our special guest in first. Normally I like to save the best for last, but if I do this the wrong way, then uh, he actually isn't up on the screen up at the top but i don't like putting our special guests at the bottom so first and foremost real quick we will say hello to our special guest we have got uh, we'll put him on screen here mr larry zanoff is in the house how are you sir
1: i'm doing well at least you can hear me now sorry i can for hear uh... you sorry for the computer problems but i did warn you that i was not quite a tech
0: head <laughs> it's okay that's that's i honestly have not had issues like that in a long long Long, long time uh, for many of the guests. So you're just special. That's all there is to it. Oh, I am so special.
2: <laughs> you have no idea how special <laughs> I am.
0: <laughs> and I did see that you even had your uh, your resident tech guru in the house working on it too. And it yeah, it got the best I mean, of if both I, of you. If
1: my if my wife can't fix it, then I'm lost. So <laughs> uh...
0: understood. We'll definitely have to look into that though, but at least we're up and running. Right. Okay. So real quick here, we got a couple other chuckleheads that we're going to bring on the screen and and say hello real quick. Uh, these guys are kind of my unofficial co-hosts. So, uh, they're, they're coming along for the ride. We don't have a full panel. We can put up to 10 faces on the screen. We're not going to do that tonight just because I do want you to get the, the lion's share of the screen time. So, uh, So we do want to say hello real quick to a couple guys, both of them from the capital city of Nebraska. First off, we've got Defense Dad. How's it going, sir? Oh, not too bad. Thanks for having me. You betcha. Thanks for being here. And then also from Lincoln, we've got Travis P11, everybody's favorite tactical teacher.
3: Hey, man. What's going on? How you
0: doing? Doing great. Thanks for being here.
3: Hey, appreciate the invite, man. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Heck yeah. All righty. So those of you that have questions for Larry, please get those over in the uh, live chat and we will get some time um, here before we're done and, and field a couple questions. Uh, sometimes the conversation kind of flows. And so if we end up switching gears, we're probably not going to go back and revisit. So please try to keep them, um, try to keep up with the topic as we try to keep up with topics. But uh, I think we're just going to have a, a fun conversation. We're not going to get into anything super serious tonight um and here's the other thing that i'm not going to do because i've seen a lot of interviews that you've done larry uh i've seen a couple episodes of gun freedom radio excuse me gun freedom radio (laughs) i was going to tell you that you were doing that wrong but yeah (laughs) so um so yeah i actually got to i've known cheryl and danny for a couple years now digitally Finally got to. Uh, I didn't meet Danny, but we met Cheryl this weekend. Uh, they're in, wonderful in Texas. She is such a sweetheart. Yeah, got their big, whole family is just you know they're just top class people. I can't imagine that uh, that the the nut would fall very far from the tree there. Yeah. So I'm sure I'm sure they're all sweethearts. Uh, can't wait to meet Danny in person. That'll be that'll be fun too. But yeah, we were at the the Alternative Mass Media Conference AMCON was was this weekend in in Fort Worth. So. Uh, It was good to meet a whole bunch of people that we finally got to meet in person and give hugs to. So, Uh, Yeah, I've
1: had the pleasure of not just being on their radio show, but I actually got to work with Danny uh, on a job that I needed some assistance as a second armorer and some additional weapons. And he came out and and assisted. And I think he had a great time being on set and it was great having him out there. Was
0: was that a particular uh, Western that was filmed in Arizona? No, it wasn't okay. it
1: was it was another gun related show and I can tell you the name and title of it and everything but then I'd have to kill you so I can't really you know do that right now.
0: you know it's it's almost worth it just to find out but at the risk of uh, having to stop the show next week because I'm dead, we' it's probably not worth it. Trust me. <laughs> we probably won't, we won't ask that question. And I know that Danny there's... did
1: a great job just so good, we all know.
0: Good, good deal. Um, so, so here's what I was going to say though, is I've seen several interviews that you've done and, um, I don't want to, I don't want to just repeat the same stuff over and over that you've already told everybody. So sure. if, if you want to hear how Larry got into guns, if you want to hear how Larry got into Hollywood, there are some great interviews, uh, uh, gorillas and Guns did a great interview here about a year ago. Um, Danny and Cheryl have interviewed Larry a few times and and you can find a lot of stuff out about Larry if you just do a little bit of of Google Foo, as Cheryl would say. So what I really want to know is just some other stuff that I don't ever get to hear about. Um, and, and first and foremost, again, if you're if you're not familiar with who Larry is, turn on your TV watch a TV show or a movie that has any kind of weapons in it, especially firearms, chances are pretty good that Larry or his company supplied them. Um, so you might not know Larry a lot from in front of the camera, but I guarantee he's done a lot of work on a lot of the movies and TV shows that you love and that I love. Um, and and again, we're not even going to get into all of that. I just want to know a couple questions. Um, but first and foremost, I mean, the biggest question I think of the night: How stinking cool is it to be an onset armorer? So
1: I- I'm not going to lie; it's very cool, okay. <laughs> um, but but it's a job, you know, and and it's a job with a lot of stress and a lot of different elements to it. Um, you are working in a very very high pressure environment. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different crew members, each one has their assigned task that they've got to accomplish. You've got actors, you've got directors, you've got media people there, there's special effects, there's explosions, there's gunfires, there's all kinds of choreography, there's dialogue. Um, so so just imagine, you know, handing off a machine gun to an actor. And, you know, of course, safety is the number one thing that we're always concerned about. They have to do a bit of dialogue. Then they have to fire a machine gun. But then they have to do some more dialogue and then fire the machine gun again. So basically, you've got a hot weapon in an actor's hands and you're basically right outside of frame. Like, you know, like you can see me here, but now you can't. Right. You're like that far away. And you're, you're always wanting to, you know, run in like, oh, he stopped firing. Hey guys, take your finger off the trigger, you know, put it on safe, you know, do all the things you want them to do what you would do, but that's not always possible. Um, So you, you basically are there as the safety guy too, not just to make sure that the gun runs right, but you're the safety official. So if the sound guy's getting too close, you have to kind of push him out of the way and say, Hey, you know. The gun's still hot. You don't want to be standing there. Or if the still photographer on set is trying to sneak in to get a shot, it's like, hey, he's getting ready to fire the gun again. And you're right in the line of a hot brass that's going to come out of the gun. So you're constantly on your toes. Um for all these different safety elements, and then secondarily, of course, you want it to look good. You want the gun to work, and mm-hmm. for the actor to come off looking well. So there's a lot of different things you got to got to deal with. Not just, hey, I'm a gunsmith and I make the gun go bang. You know, um, you have to interact with the other crew members, with the stunt people, special effects people, with the director. Sometimes the director will want to set up a shot and you have to say, hey, you know what? You can't do that for some safety reason. Uh, But here's an alternate way of getting the same effect. So now all of a sudden you're living in the world of cameras. I don't know anything about cameras. I was never (laughs) trained on cameras. But over the years, you pick up certain things where you go like, hey, You don't have the right kind of camera here, but if you've got a long lens or what we call a snorkel lens, you can be remote and still get the shot that you want. But everybody stays safe. Um, We also, you know, people think, oh, they're shooting guns, they're shooting blanks. But there's many, many different types of blanks in the in the movie industry there's a full load and a half load and a quarter load and a specialty one that we call a solid plug and these are all different little tricks that you use when you're out on set to get the director the correct shot that he wants so in a movie um where there's maybe like one character with one gun throughout the entire film there's probably you know six or seven or eight different guns on set on standby, each one that you swap out, you know, depending upon the shot that you you know have to have to do. So all those things are very stressful, but it is cool. You get to interact with what the main part of the world calls celebrities, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, stars and directors and things like that. And you know, as someone who's kind of a fan of movies you know myself it's really great to be able to be working with those people it's like wow growing up I watched your movie and now I'm working on a movie with you Um, I'm a big Quentin Tarantino fan and I got to work on one of his films as the lead armor that's pretty cool you know Uh, and, and in today's day and age of digital as I'm sure you're aware it's there now forever Right. Your right. name is on the credit of that film forever, long after you're gone and all that. People will still be looking at those films. And if they go, man, that that gun sequence was really cool. I wonder who choreographed that. They're going to watch the credits and it's gonna say, hey, you know, Larry Zanoff, Lead Armor or,
0: or something like that. And, and I think that's cool. And more importantly, you're on IMDb. And once Correct. you're on IMDb, then again, I mean, that that goes forever. So. Right. It's there forever. I will say uh, there was
1: probably a little bit higher element of coolness when my children were young, because every time the movie came out, that daddy worked on, they'd want to go to the movie theater and see it. Um, and you know, young kids growing up, you know, there's, there's that certain age where you'll do anything to make your kids think you're a cool dad, you know, so that, that was kind of cool. But, um, it's, it's allowed me and my wife to have, have a good life and raise two healthy children and have a roof over our head. We take care of my mother. Now we took care of my father before he passed away. Um, and
0: it's, it's given us a life. And we're, we're both very grateful for that. That's awesome. Very, very cool. Um, So another question that I want to know, because I, again, I've kind of heard this a little bit in different interviews, but um, you, you didn't start out obviously with your career in Hollywood. You were a gun guy first before you, you worked in Hollywood. Yep. So. And somebody else out in the in the comments had asked the same thing. Uh, it was Pat Hirsch, also a Nebraskan. Pat wants to know, and so do I. Um, your favorite personal—I'm going to say your personal favorite. I don't want you to announce to the world what you do or do not own, but okay. You, if you could pick one gun as your favorite, do you have a favorite?
1: I do have a favorite. It's it's a question that I get asked quite a bit. Um, And in the world of firearms, as we we all know, there's many, many choices. And it is difficult to come up with that one gun that, that, you know, is your favorite go-to. But um, in my outside-of-the-movie-business life, uh, I practice a couple different traditional Japanese martial arts. And uh, so my favorite gun of all time is what's called a Tenegashima, which is a Japanese matchlock that dates back to about the 1540s. If you don't know, Japan did not have firearms, and a Portuguese trading ship washed up on their shores uh, in the 1540s, and they basically reverse-engineered their entire gun industry from three matchlock muskets that were on this Portuguese ship. And in less than a decade firearms had become the prevalent weapon on the Japanese battlefield. Um, The unification of Japan probably would not have occurred when it did, had it not been for firearms. And of course, being a big history buff, being a firearms buff, being a Japanese martial arts buff, my favorite weapon, Japanese matchlock.
2: Very cool. And
0: for those of you not familiar with with a, what a matchlock is go check out basically any three musketeers movie or tv show because that was the that was the musket of the day during during the that's how they got their name the musketeers right so exactly uh, but that was prior to flintlocks, locks prior to to percussion caps for sure so very cool um okay so let's switch over to to fantasy because there is there's nothing that you can't either make or have made uh from from what i can tell in in your in your studio so um what's been the the coolest or your maybe your favorite again i it it might be like trying to pick a favorite kid and we won't we won't make you do that but what's been one of the coolest uh fantasy guns that you've made up uh in your career well there there's
1: two of them uh that I'm not going to say that they're my favorite necessarily, but there are two of them that have created the most buzz um, out, you know, on, on the interwebs, as they say, excuse me. Um, And the first one would have to be
0: Vera from Firefly. (laughs) Um, And any Firefly fan just got like instantly Twitter pated. Yeah. You
1: You know, And I'm amazed. I mean, I'll tell you the story of how we built that gun uh, and why, but I'm still amazed at the response that it gets from viewers for a show that only lasted one season and hasn't been on the air now for years. But um, there was a movie called Showtime with Robert De Niro and Eddie Murphy. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a cop buddy movie. And it was supposed to be about like illegal gun runners. And they were hunting down these illegal gun runners. And so we started out making a specialized gun for that film. Um, It was in the movie a little bit, but the final version of the film didn't concentrate that much on the guns. And so we had this thing that was like a, a really beautiful prop. And it did all kinds of wonderful things like fold up and, and things that we never got to u- utilize on Showtime. And then Firefly came along. And so we tweaked it a little bit. We changed some stuff. We, we added some stuff and we kind of re-engineered the whole design and it became Vera. And like you said, you mentioned Vera or Firefly and there's only two types of people out there. The people that totally love it or the people who don't even know what it is, and the people that love it, man, they really love that show. Um, and so, I—that is one of my favorite things that I worked on, mainly because I like to see the excitement and enthusiasm in the fans' eyes when when it gets mentioned. And that that gun, we built ten of them initially, because, again, you have to swap them out for different loads and things when you're making a movie or a television show. And there was a, a gunsmith named Jim Bolin. Uh, he was the inventor almost of, of most of the IPSC type technology that we're using now, race guns and compensators and things like that. He was like a pioneer. In oh, fact, cool. when I was in gunsmithing college, um, there was no internet back then and, and everything. And my big uh, excitement of the month was me and my wife would go shopping down in Reno once a month. And I would stop and I would pick up either Handgunner Magazine or Guns and Ammo or whatever. And I can remember one uh, issue that had an article about Jim Boland, who already at the time, you know, this was. What was this? This was early 90s when I was in college. He was already a well-known gunsmith in in the community. And I remember telling my wife that if when I go to my, you know, rewards, if I'm half as good a gunsmith as this Jim Bowling guy is, I will feel that that I was a successful gunsmith. And then here I was a couple decades later, and I had the opportunity to actually work with him, and we built those guns together. He's since passed away, uh, but me and Jim spent 27 days straight at the shop, not going home, not seeing our families, working about 16, 17-hour days. We slept at the shop. We ate at the shop to get that first version of Vera up and running. Wow, And uh, that was that was quite a challenge, really hard work. Uh, But like I said, when you see the fans get excited about it, it, it's very rewarding. Um, Second one, of course, for the same reason, would have to be the silenced shotgun from No Country for Old Men. Uh, Much simpler build. I didn't, you know, spend 27 days working, you know, nonstop. It was much easier you know, prop, but Keith Walters, who was the prop master on that film, called us up and we had both a time and a budget constraint um, that we had to live with, with which people don't really realize when you're making a film, they just see the finished product and everything mm-hmm. looks cool, but they don't realize that you have to contend with budgets and time schedules and availability of stuff. And so for for a much simpler input, we managed to come up with what has now become a very iconic uh, firearm. So uh, I, I think those are two of my favorites as well, as far as things that I actually got to build, you know, with my own mm-hmm. hands. That's awesome.
0: Very cool. Uh, I've got a couple other questions, and then I, I will field a few from, from the chat and, and have okay. uh, Travis and Defense Dad give them a little bit of time to, to ask a question or two. Um, so you kind of mentioned this a little bit when it comes to safety issues, but when you're on set and you see something happening and, and I'm going to, I know that I haven't seen this episode yet. And I know you guys are addressing this on season five, but uh, one of my biggest pet peeves is, is watching open range. seeing Costner shoot somebody with a, with a Colt 1873 and they go flying back about six feet. I think he shot one guy with his pistol and put him through the, the back of the privy through the wall. And uh, so we all know those of us that are familiar with a little thing called physics that, uh, that that's not, that's not not actually possible. possible. However, it makes for really dang good TV and movie watching. So, how hard is it being a, a practical guy and, and actually knowing how the world works and how firearms work when you see something like that get filmed? Um, How hard is it to to hold your tongue? Uh, cause, cause I think that I'd probably get fired after about the first <laughs> two hours. If I were on set, I'd get, I'd get fired, uh, banned off the set and, and told never to come back because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to keep my trap shut. So that that's got to be one of the most challenging parts of the of the job, isn't it?
1: So here, so here's the deal. There's there's just a couple things you got to always remember. The director is telling a story, mm-hmm. even if it's about a true to life event, he's still telling a story. Yeah. That's why it says based on true events, not the true events. You know what I mean? And so they're telling a story and sometimes they have to make a creative decision to help the story along. Sometimes it's dialogue. Sometimes it's suspending the laws of physics by blowing someone through the doors of a saloon or something like that. And you're right. We are testing this on season five of Hollywood weapons. Um, And I don't think it's really a matter of holding your tongue or anything. But what you do have to do as a professional is you have to do your due diligence. You you go up, you're listening to the walkthrough, because whenever these things are set up on set, there's hours of rehearsal and walkthroughs so that everything's timed out correctly, again, with safety in mind. And at the point where where someone says, okay, and then they fire the gun and the guy goes flying through the doorway and thrown back 20 feet or whatever, that's when as a professional armorer, you have to stand up and say, OK, we can make that work. We'll talk with the, you know, uh, stunt coordinator to how to time that out correctly. But just so you know, that would never happen. <laughs> and, and then you get two responses. You either get, well, what do you mean that would never happen? Why would that never happen? And then you get to explain the world of physics. Or they go, yeah, we know it's not realistic, but the effect is so cool, and that's what we want to see. And both answers, as far as I'm concerned, both answers are fine. That makes total sense to me, too. Yeah. I mean, as long as you do your job, what you don't want to do is you don't want to have something, like, you can kind of see it going in that direction and not speak up. And then six months later or a year later, when the movie comes out, all those people online are writing in bad things about the movie and the director's going, well, where, wait, where's that gun guy? Why didn't he tell me that this was wrong or something along those lines? So um, it's not really hard to watch it as long as you've spoken up and done your due diligence. And when Do the you. director goes, I know, I understand what you're saying, but I want it like that anyway, because I'm telling a story. You go perfect answer. That's all works. I wanted to hear. And then you move on.
2: Please um, we come back. Yeah.
1: I, I will I will say that when you do a project that's hyper, hyper realistic, me as someone who's you know dealt with firearms in the real world as well, I get a lot more satisfaction out of it. But still, it's you know, it's a job. You do a job and you're catering a service to the director, it's his vision or her vision, and your job is to put that vision up on screen make it a reality and you know if if you're not happy then you should become a director yourself and and do your own movie and have it exactly the way you want it with all the laws of physics involved
0: sure very cool okay um one other question i I definitely want to get to and earlier in the uh out there in the live chat somebody had had commented a couple questions about um actors or actresses that uh, that surprised you as being pro-gun or surprised you as being anti-gun. Now, I wanted to acknowledge that I saw those comments, but that's not what I'm going to ask. Okay. Because the last thing I'm going to ask you to do is out somebody in Hollywood <laughs> as a gun person. We're not doing that. I understand how how blacklisting works. And I appreciate tough. that. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, and so... Just And we didn't establish this ahead of time, but you absolutely have have uh, f- uh, free reign to, to plead the Fifth Amendment um, or just decline to comment on on any of these. But here's the question I do want to ask, and hopefully you'll be able to, to answer this, at least in some sort of diplomatic fashion. Okay. Um, are there any stars that you um, – I shouldn't even say stars. Are there any actors that you actually look forward to working with on set where you know – that you don't have to to maybe babysit them quite as much because they do understand things like trigger discipline or, or you know just basic safety rules
1: well you know i'm going to start out by saying i look forward to working with every actor okay that i have to go out on set with um it's a very serious endeavor, like we spoke about earlier, because of safety. So when someone is an actor and I'm the on-set armorer out there, I feel like a trust, a holy trust, is being put in my hands for that person's safety, for that person's well-being, as well as the crew's safety, the people that you don't get to see on right. the screen. Um, and I And I don't take that trust lightly you know that that's what being a professional is you 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 do your best no matter who the actor is that you're dealing with i will say there are some actors that i've had the the pleasure and the privilege to work with on multiple occasions and some of them are more gun oriented than others and so you kind of go ah oh, cool ed harris is out on Set tonight, you know, or something like that. We all know uh, from videos that are online that Keanu Reeves is very good at, you know, gun work. We all know that, you know, Bruce Willis, you know, all the people that are, you know, primarily seen as action stars, they are actually really good with the props that they have to handle. And most of those props as an action star are firearms or weapons, swords, knives you know, what have you. Um, So, again, I look forward to working with all of them. Uh, I have worked with Tom Cruise several times, another just immensely professional actor. He gives 120% of himself for every single thing that he does. And that includes the the gun work. You know, uh, we did a very well-respected film with him called Collateral, And one of the scenes in Collateral, actually, I've been told, is used as a training aid by law enforcement because of the gun handling that Tom displays uh, in a particular scene in the movie. And to be able to say, well, you know, I was the armor out on set that night. I'm the one that helped create that scene even if it's just in a small way because you know there's the armor there's the technical advisor there's the actor themselves there's the director who wants it done a certain way film is is a very much a collaborative art form so there's not just one person that can say i was responsible for that right um but but i can say i was a little part of that a little piece of that. And when people use that over and over and they go, oh, that scene was so really cool. It's like, yeah, I, I was there that night and and we put in a 22 hour night. and We had to film it 17 times and it was raining and it was cold. And, you know, I was missing my wife's and my anniversary or my child's birthday or other life events. Um, you know, it's still very cool when you see the finished product and you get to say, not only get to say that, hey, I was part of that. But you see the viewing response that's out there. Oh, that's my favorite scene in the movie or, you know, something like that. So, um, you know, Tom Selleck is an excellent human being and, and he's a great actor. So, you know, that's pretty cool to work with him. Uh, Tom Cruise, as I mentioned, Ed Harris. And there's many, many more that, you know, uh, over the last 21 years that I've been working in the film industry, that I've had the privilege and, you know, Gary Sinise, uh, you know, Joe Montana, one of the, the nicest human beings you'll ever meet, as well as being a very, very good actor. Um, so, yeah, the list, you know, we, we could do a whole show just. You know, Uh, but but I think the thing to remember, though, John, is is and and I want your viewers to have this as a takeaway is that it doesn't really matter which actor you're working with. Um, You know, if, if I may say that I have a gift, then my gift is dealing with with firearms. A professional actor's gift is mimicry. Mm-hmm. They're very good at mimicking. They may not be good gun handlers or gu- good, you know, jet pilots or good, you know, at sailing a boat, but if you show them what they need to do in front of camera, they're very good at picking up very quickly on the one or two elements that will make them look professional up on screen. And it's, it's that part of the collaboration that, that I look forward to when you go out there, you're working with someone that when you tell them, Hey, don't put your finger on the trigger till I tell you, or don't point it in this direction. Cause that's going to be a safety zone. You know, that they're listening. They put their trust in you and they know that what you're telling them, you're telling them that for a reason. And so it's that that collaboration that is just really, really so unique in film. Um, and I can't, I mean, television, of course, is the same, but other than the entertainment industry, I really can't put my finger on an industry out there that truly has that kind
0: of multifaceted collaboration. Which is really cool. And, and you can tell me this better than, than anybody uh that i know but it seems like over the last 40 years or so which is how long i've been paying attention to movies um uh, it seems like the the technical aspect and the 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 technical advisors uh, have been they've gotten a lot better or they've been more utilized at least um of late compared I'm you know i'm thinking of like chuck norris movies from the 80s yep. um uh, versus things from today whether it's gun handling or or you know conning a ship or whatever is the case. I mean, it seems like as a, as an industry, the, the consumers are wanting more realism. And so um, that's been kind of cool to see that, you know, over the last 20 years of those 40, that, that things are getting more realistic um, and, and becoming, um, you know, again, those technical advisors are being utilized more and more, especially if something's based on a true story and they've got somebody as a technical advisor on set, who was there? I mean, yeah. those are some of my favorite things to so, favorite things to watch.
1: Yeah. You know, um, it does go in cycles. Um, and I will say that uh, it's probably an unfortunate truth for the world, but it's a fortunate element for the viewers yeah. that, you know, when you're doing action movies, a lot of it has to do with warfare. And unfortunately in the real world, there are wars. And mm-hmm. so, when you see the cycles, they sometimes they follow some some of the armed conflicts that are out there. Um If you look at films like Battleground, I think it's a nineteen forty nine movie, maybe about the Battle of the Bulge. It's an old kind of campy Hollywood war movie. But man, the weapons handling is really actually very good. Right. And when you see the three-man teams setting up the belt-fed machine gun, they're doing it like they really know what they were doing. And the reason is because it wasn't that long after World War II. And some of those actors and stunt people really were in the Battle of the Bulge. Right. And, and so they were just doing on, on in front of the camera something they had done in, in real life. Um, so there's realism there. We have had since 9 eleven we have been in a worldwide conflict, and we have many veterans who are coming out of the fi- the, the military realm and they go into the film industry, be it as armorers or technical advisors or script writers. And so you kind of see that uptick in realistic, you know, the weaponry, the gun handling. I know that at ISS, when we're doing a show that is based on reality, we go above and beyond to try to make sure that every detail of the weapons is spot on. And you can see films like American Sniper or Lone Survivor or different shows like that, that, you know, even films like Lincoln, all the weaponry and the muskets and the bayonets and all. we, We do our best because we feel, of course, that, you know, a real event happened. People's lives were affected by that event. We owe them that respect to recreate it in the most accurate way possible. Um, and of course, we do that on all shows. But but you know, you walk away with something a little bit more in your soul when you do a film that is based on real events, especially if you, it winds up being a well-made film. And you go again. I, you know, I had a little bit to do with that.
0: That's cool. Which, okay, so that brings up another question that I have. When somebody contacts ISS to make a movie, let's say especially a period piece, mm-hmm. how does that work? Do they just say this, it's set in this year? We need, um, you know, we need the guns that the Union soldiers would have. We need guns that the Confederate soldiers would have, and then give ISS the 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 free reign to correctly match the firearms to the period or do they say you know it's set in the civil war we want you know we want some cult peacemakers and stuff like that and and then you have to say well that's not historically accurate then so or do they just trust you to know what you're doing
1: so the answer to that is yes yes everything you just said okay so the, the unique thing about a television show or especially a film, uh, you know, a, a television show, an episodic, it's like you're making one episode every five to seven days. And the crew does fall into a certain routine because you know how the episode is going to go. There's going to be an opening. There's going to be a middle. There's going to be an end. A film is a little bit more involved. And each and every film is unique unto itself. Mm-hmm. Um Our primary customer is what's known as the prop master. Guns are props. Even though they're real firearms, they're considered props in the film industry. And so we deal with the prop master. And we have prop masters that come to us and say, here's the script. Read it. Tell me what I need. We have others that come in and go, uh, it's about World War Two, it's about the normandy invasion i want 50 m1 garands i want three mg 42s i want, you know whatever it may be then you get ones that walk in and they give you a script and it's like hey man the script says james bond pulls out his walther ppk i, I i'll give you whatever you want but i really feel like it's got to be a walther ppk it really should be you know it really should be you know um we get projects where they come in and they go like, hey, uh, we're doing a Western, but we want everything in the show to be unique. So 1873 cults are out. You know, uh, 1851 navies are out. We want something different. We want something that hasn't been seen before. So now all of a sudden you're dealing with, you know, Smith & Wesson Schofields and you're dealing with, you know, Merwin and Holberts and all kinds of different guns because everybody who's creating a the movie, they want their project to be unique and different. Mm-hmm. And and those are the really challenging ones because maybe, you know, hey, you like that gun, but there was only a hundred of them ever made. And and the only three that are in existence are in a museum somewhere. I mean, can you imagine someone doing a Revolutionary War film right now and saying, "I want a hundred Ferguson muskets." Oh wow. Okay, Ferguson was a rifleman. He had rifle bores. He had. Breech loaders in the 1700s. Right. Nobody else had that at the time. So, you know, there's one I think at the the National Firearms Museum, and there's one at the um, Battlefield Museum of where Ferguson got killed. But other than that, I don't know of any other complete Ferguson rifles that are out there. So now we're we're having to recreate that. And we'll have to make reproductions and um, a very unique situation that kind of speaks to what uh, we're, we're dealing with right here is we did a film called Public Enemies. And in that film, there was a fully automatic 1911 Um, The director, Michael Mann, is is a very knowledgeable director, but he's also very knowledgeable about firearms. And so he wanted these elements in his movie because the Dillinger gang actually had these different firearms. And um, there was back in the day, remember, this was before the 1934 Gun Control Act. So it was legal to own a machine gun in the United States. And there was a gunsmith named Hiram Liebman who... He did. He wasn't doing anything illegal, but a lot of his clientele were some questionable characters. And uh, one of the things that he created was this fully automatic 1911 with an extended magazine and all that. Um, so we had to recreate that for the film. And guess what? The original gun that was used was a 38 Super. It wasn't a 45 ACP. It was a 38 Super, and so we recreated them out of. 38 supers. And we started encountering the same difficulties that Hiram Liebman encountered when he was making the original guns, how the, the rounds are stacking up in the magazine. How do you weld two magazines together to get extended magazine capacity, all those different things. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's really an element of art, entertaining or imitating life and life imitating art in the film industry. And I I think that's just one of the, the unique things in that industry that makes it so cool to work in.
0: So when you're converting a a 38 super 1911 over to, to full auto, what do you use as your references? Then are there patents still available that you can, you can go back to refer to, or did you just have to reinvent the wheel? Pretty much, we have to reinvent the wheel. We are a
1: licensed manufacturer, okay. so we we are able to, you know, convert things back and forth. Um, but again, what we're converting has to also work on blanks, right? Which is not what these firearms were originally designed for. And so, we in our gun shop at ISS, uh, people like Scott Fritchler. Brian Rogers, myself, and things like that. We've, you know, uh, created a technology that allows us to convert these things and make them run well on blanks. Again, every shop does it differently. There's several other armories out there that kind of do the same thing that we do. Um, You know, uh, there are other famous gunsmiths that are out there. Steve Carnes has been doing this for many, many years. And I'm and I'm rambling off names here that probably most of your listeners or viewers have never heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's probably because they never stopped and read all the credits when the credits go by on the movie screen at the end of the movie. And they really should. Uh, because you start recognizing some of these names, some of the armors, some of the technical advisors, and and you'll realize that it's a very small number of people that are doing this kind of work at the very high level that people expect nowadays. And again, that's, that's reflected in 16 weeks away from your family every single time you do a movie, uh, missing birthdays, missing anniversaries all kinds of other life events and things like that. So, you know, you go to the movies, you should, you should sit in your seat until the, the, the credit crawl goes by and you should remember some of those names because a lot of people put a lot of effort into those different projects that we then enjoy forever, like right. we said, because you can watch these films. They're so good. You know what's going to happen, but they're so well done. You can watch them over and over and over again.
0: Right, exactly right. Especially if it's a Marvel movie, because you know there's something coming. If You, you know, Marvel it, so. movie
1: or any other movie, <laughs> I mean, how many times, if, if you're a gun enthusiast, how many times have you watched the gun battle in Heat? You I've know,
0: never seen Heat, but I've heard it's amazing. Okay, I'm going to gonna
1: have it. to turn this off right now. Got it. Well, folks, if that you've is nev- You've never seen I, Heat. I, was I don't a know too that honest. I can really converse with you on any kind of <laughs> level here, John.
3: Well, it, it was R rated, so I think John was too little to watch it. That's probably why. Because yeah, 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 I'm not PG-16 buying it. PG-13 like has been around
1: so. forever. You know, I mean, I'm I saw RoboCop
3: honest. when I was nine, but I'm fine. You know, <laughs> I'm
1: going to expect you to when once we're done with this podcast, I expect you to go watch Heat, and then I want a 12-page double-spaced book report on the film emailed to me by end of week.
0: Okay, so it, including the names of at least a dozen people in the credits, right? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll have it on your desk. <laughs> um, okay, real quick, uh, Travis or Defense Dad, if either one of you have uh, some things that you've been waiting to, to either ask or just say to Larry, then I'm going to open the, the floor up to the two of you.
2: Uh, yeah. I've, I've you been right. trying. Oh, sorry. I've been trying to think of like how to ask questions that you can actually answer because I, I want to know the stuff that everyone else wants to know, but I don't want to sure. have it cause you an issue with your career. Um, well so I, I do mean, have here's, two. here's
1: the thing. Feel free to ask any question you want to ask. If I can't answer it, I won't.
2: Okay. Well, I narrowed it down to two though. So number one, so is there a specific firearm that seems to be the most requested that Seems to make sense, but it causes you the most issues on set that you just kind of cringe when you have to use. Oh, them. good. Good question. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I mean.
1: I will say, and again, if you read the credits on the films that you watch, um, you might see my name pop up on occasion and it might say armor minigun operator. And. Um, there's only a certain number of miniguns in, that are available for rent in the film industry. We, we own four of them at ISS. Um, and so I've logged quite a few hours uh, on the, the M134 minigun uh, in multiple, multiple different films. We also, and we can talk about it later, but we also do some law enforcement and military training classes. But as far as the films go, Uh, I have more hours on the minigun than anyone else at our shop, and while it's a breathtaking effect on camera to see 3,000 rounds a minute going through a minigun, uh, it is a very, very challenging piece of equipment to work with. Uh, Nine times out of ten, they don't just want a minigun, they want a minigun mounted to a helicopter or on a fast patrol boat or maybe even handheld that the stuntman, you know, jumps off of a, you know, overpass on a freeway with. And so there are so many things that can go wrong with that system that have to be just tuned just right. Um, The the best, you know, a comparison I could have is to like a thoroughbred racehorse on the day. It's amazing. But when things start going wrong with the system, it can be a real, real difficult thing to work with. And that, I think, is actually where your professionalism shines the brightest, is when things are going wrong. Because if you can figure out the problem and analyze it quickly and fix it quickly and keep on going, then it feels like you earned your pay that day. If if everything's always going great, you know, there's not the same feeling, and and I always remember my my father, um, may he rest in peace. He he's he has been my guiding light as far as my interest in firearms, and and everything from like age four or five. And I remember he had a friend over, uh, and I was very young at the time. But he had a friend over, and the friend wanted my dad to go rock climbing with him. And my, my dad had never been rock climbing. And he, he said, well, you know, have you ever had any problems when you were on the rock face? Have you ever, like, slipped and fell? Did you ever have to use your safety line and all that? And the guy went, oh, no, I've never had to do that. And my father said, then I don't want to climb up on that rock face with you. And that always stuck in my mind because it's like you, you, you shine brighter when things are going wrong not when things are always going right. And so uh, to answer your question, or I hope I've answered your question, the M134 minigun system, it's the one that I both love and dread, you know, because, oh, they never want to mount it to a regular Blackhawk. They want some custom, cool looking helicopter. Well, that helicopter wasn't built to mount mini guns on and you have to create the mounts as well as how you're going to feed it and all those different kinds of things so it's it's a challenge
2: yeah yeah i kind of figured what that would be one of i was like i was half wondering if it wouldn't be something like with the m62 because they're not they don't tend to be as reliable as they see, as they show in the movies from what i understand
1: yeah so i'll i'll, I'll let you in on on a little bit of uh an oddity in the film industry. Uh, You are correct, by the way, anytime it's a belt fed system, your hackles kind of go up and you, you kind of have to put extra effort into it. But there's a weird scenario in the, in the entertainment industry. If you're in the military or you're in law enforcement, you're trained how to handle your firearm. And if God forbid you have to use that to either preserve your own life or the life of others, Uh, and the gun malfunctions, you're trained to clear the weapon and continue on with the fight. On a movie set, you really can't do that because there's a helicopter flying overhead that's timed in with your gunfire. There's special effects explosions that are timed with your gunfire. And so we're in a weird situation where we've taken a firearm that's not designed to fire blanks. We've created a technology to convert it to blanks, and we're striving for more reliability on screen than exists in the real world. Because every time you do that take, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars to reset it every time. And if the take wasn't good because your gun didn't work right, you're kind of standing there with egg on your face. Yeah, uh, So it's kind of a unique situation that a lot of people don't really think about, you know, but that's what we
2: have to deal with in the film industry. Well, my other question, and then I'll move to Travis. So is there a movie out there that you just can't watch anymore because the gun handling and the gunplay is just so bad?
1: Wow, that's a good one. Um, I will let you know... First off, kids were young because they wanted to see the film. As I said, that daddy worked on, I'd go and see it with them. But in general, I don't like watching a movie or a television show that I've worked on because you're too close to it. You were right there. You sometimes you'll see little imperfections that the viewing public doesn't see, but you, you're like, oh God, that was that 21-hour night when we were there in the freezing cold and it doesn't look quite the way you hoped it would look and all that. So I don't like uh, and I can't really comment about that on
2: films that I've worked on. However, yeah, I was are... more asking about ones you hadn't worked on. For instance, sure. I watched I watched Delta Force the other night just for old time's sake. <laughs> of course. And I I almost couldn't get through it. Yeah, and, and so that's exactly what I was going to say.
1: I would, I would have to say that some of the older productions, uh, films, and I love Delta Force. Don't, don't get me wrong. I think it was a great entertaining movie at the time, but, but that is one of those films, uh, where we're kind of, you know, disconnected from reality and, um, you know, I don't know that anybody ever really ran around with twin Mac tens on motorcycles with rockets that launched off the handlebars. It it was one of those films that kind of like started out in the real world. And by the end of it, you're going like, Oh, dude, come on. You yeah, know?
2: there was there was a scene in there it was blatantly obvious that Chuck Norris did not know how to ride a motorcycle because they had him taken off. And he <laughs> never he never took his feet off the ground and they were dragging because
3: he... training was going on. There. Now,
1: I will tell you, here's a weird parallel, and this shows you how, like John was saying earlier, how the bar keeps rising higher and higher in that movie, if I'm not mistaken, and it has been a while since I've seen it. Uh, The end is, you know, the plane's taken off and Chuck's got to like climb onto the aircraft at the last minute as they're heading off. And of course, that was all done, you know, with stunt doubles and things like that. And nowadays you look at like one of the latest Mission Impossible movies where you see Tom Cruise doing that stunt for real himself, Yeah, you know, and and that's that's a weird comparison. And sometimes it, you know. It may not have been that, you know, Chuck didn't know how to ride a motorcycle or something. It may have been just the filming technology that was available at the time didn't allow it to be filmed in as realistic a way as you would want it. And sometimes it's affected by budget, too. I mean, that was a Golan Globus, you know, group um, production, all those Chuck Norris films. And they did wonderful in the box office and everything. But Golan Globus... You know, I, I don't remember any Academy Awards that they ever won uh, before. So you have to kind of take it w- with, a, with a grain of salt. But I will say some of the older scenes are a little bit difficult to watch. Things where you have six shooters that fire 12 times in a row without reloading. Um, muskets that fire twice in a row without reloading. It's like,
0: oh, that kind of crazy. Of course, those rounds know. were superposed, thank you.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. And, and
0: I, you know, I don't know
1: about you, but when I see films like that my wife is watching them with me and I'm going like, "Oh, that was horrible." And she's like, "Just watch the film. Don't worry about it. It's just a movie, you know." So, my, my um, wife that, is never
0: my wife has never actually admitted this to me, but I'm pretty sure that if, if I wasn't within earshot, she would tell you that I can suck the fun out of watching any movie. just be, Especially movies with guns. Yeah, <laughs> but, but you
1: know what? You know what? The, the the wonderful thing about our wives or girlfriends or significant others is they may actually feel that you could suck the life and enjoyment out of that film, but they still sit there and hold your hand and watch it with you. Oh, so yes. we, we, we should all count our blessings on that.
2: I think the scene in that movie that got me the worst was there was one of the guys supposed to be on the Delta Force and he's holding his Uzi and he just kind of moves it back and forth to pretend there's recoil and there's nothing coming out. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's why I prefer the more realistic programs like uh, Robocop. So,
1: yeah. I'll tell you a funny thing about uh, Delta Force. And again, I love Lee Marvin and I love, you know, Chuck Norris. All of his shows are great. I also respect him, of course, as a martial artist, um, very accomplished martial artist and everything, as well as being a good human being. Uh, But when Delta Force came out, um, I was living overseas. I, I grew up in Israel, and it came out at a time where, you know, Operation Eagle Claw had gone horribly wrong. The U.S. did not manage to rescue the hostages in Iran, However, it came out after the Entebbe raid when the IDF did manage to hostage rescue uh, the hostages uh, from the Entebbe situation. And so for me personally, it was very difficult to watch that film as well as some of my other, uh, you know, friends that were in the army uh, with me because of that. And it was like, yeah, you just had too much of the feeling that we were really watching fantasy. We weren't Watching reality,
0: right? All right, uh, Travis, do you have anything that you want to uh, ask Larry before we start to wrap things up? Yeah,
3: a couple. Uh, Larry, did you guys work on Den of Thieves? We did.
0: Okay, that's all the weapons for Den of Thieves. Yes. Yeah,
3: love it. And so I now blame you for the reason why I want to buy a Noveski diplomat, which is going to cost me like $3,500. But anyway, I'll I'll just send you the invoice on that. Um, You can blame me for all of
1: it. I'm still not going to pay the invoice. But Uh,
3: anyway, it's one of my so one of the things uh, in in the movies, you know, the, the movies are memorable, the action movies growing up. What I always seem to remember was the specific firearms that each character carried. I think about the weapons that were carried in Predator and Den of Thieves, especially, you know, each character has their own unique guns. So when it's a movie that's not like historically set where you would expect certain characters to have certain firearms, how is it determined who's going to carry what? Because it seems like so many times the weapons just seem to fit the character or their style. And it always seems to be so, like Den of Thieves it really kind of sticks out like that, you know?
1: Yeah, and that, that's an excellent question and thank you for bringing it up. And uh, I'm going to... Uh unabashedly self-promote and pat ourselves on the back because that is the onset armor. That is, you know, the ISS armory working in conjunction with the prop master, coming up with these choices and suggestions. Because we read the script and we go, man, you know, I'm kind of kind of gonna put myself in that character's shoes. He's, you know an ex army ranger he's got this kind of backstory if i were him what kind of gun would i you know pick for myself and so sometimes the the producers and the directors and the actors come in and go we, this is what we want but when we do have shows like den of thieves and other projects where we get to put that input into it and then people like you watch the film and go man it seems like every character the the choice of weapons was pegged perfectly that makes me feel good again it makes me feel like we did our job you know on, on that film and that's what the on set armor does the the motion picture armor they are a technical advisor they're an armorer they're a safety person they're all those things put together they're they're kind of an assistant to the director in you know, setting up the different choreography. We call it gunfight choreography because that's what it is. And we work with the stunt crew and we work with, you know, the effects crew and they the, the armor is a very, very important cog in any movie that has firearms, even if they don't get a credit at the end of the film, you guys got to remember that just because you worked on the film doesn't mean you actually get your name on the credit roll. Um, There's all kinds of different reasons why certain names get put on and others don't. Uh, Sometimes it's like, oh my god, the the, the credit roll would be longer than the movie itself if we put every single person's name uh, on it. By and large, if you worked the whole 16 weeks on the movie, you're part of the crew and you get your credit. If you're an armorer, sometimes you're only there for a very small segment of the film. The, the the three or four gunfire scenes, and so you may not get a credit, but behind the scenes, that is the Hollywood motion picture armorer who's made those choices and suggestions.
3: Yeah, thank you. Because it's just it just seems like it just I don't know it's like the weapons always seem to fit those characters. And I'm I'm an addict to the uh, International Firearms Movie Database, that IMFDB or yep. whatever it's called. I'm always looking up movies and seeing what guns are used, and that's kind of interesting to see what what the choices were. So. Yeah, really know, it right there. Uh, Chris,
1: uh, who created IMFDB, is a good friend of mine. And we've had many conversations. Uh we ourselves use IMFDB as a research tool uh in our professional business because you know he's done such a wonderful job of putting up all those films and some of his staff writers or reviewers, you know, when a new movie comes out, they're they're Johnny on the spot and they they pick out the guys They're not always a hundred percent correct because sometimes the guns go by in like a blink of an eye on the film and that's when we maybe contact chris and say hey dude you know what we didn't really use that gun this is what we did and this is how we created that because i want imfdb to be as accurate as possible so you're putting correct information out
0: there to the viewing public all right, so then, is it okay if I bring up a bone I'd like to pick so you can let Chris know? And I haven't checked recently, so somebody can fact-check me and see if maybe this hasn't already been updated. But last I knew, on the, the Terminator 2 page, okay, Arnold's lever-action shotgun is listed as a Winchester 1887. And then, okay. it, show, then it shows him loading modern smokeless uh, shells into it, which means it has to be a 1901. Correct. So clearly, the 1901 is what was used in the on the film, but in the uh, in IMFDB, we need to get that updated so that nobody's thinking that an 1887 is going to take uh, smokeless, smokeless powder. Powder, yeah.
1: And you know, I mean, there's there's sometimes things happen where like a video game, because the video game world has become a big part of the entertainment industry. Oh my gosh, yes. And and maybe you know, in the game they they're not allowed to use let's say the correct real thing that was used in a movie so a p90 becomes a pps 90 or something you know something like that and sometimes some of the reviewers they might look at the game because they've been playing the game and go oh yeah that's an 1887 it wasn't you know uh so yeah things like that have to be updated but like you said the, the viewing public demanding more and more accuracy has pushed the bar higher and higher and higher. Now, I will say that you've got to keep in mind that um, sometimes what you see on the screen is... Uh, isn't reality, John? You know, what? and it, yeah, minute. I know it's it's not real. That is just it's, like
0: Robocop, that's one of I, the most realistic movies I've ever watched. Don't I tell know, me, but, but sometimes it's a it's house not. of cards, and,
1: and, and it may be that that particular gun that 1887 was portraying a 1901 in the film. So maybe IMFDB isn't 100% inaccurate in that case. The other thing is. You have multiple units over multiple areas, geography, countries, states, things like that. And so you could have a stuntman with one gun in Arizona filming at the same time as the main actor with a different gun is in Hollywood. And so maybe there weren't enough 1901s around. And for a specific stunt segment, they go, OK, we've got an 1887. It's close enough.
0: We'll make it work. That's awesome. I, really I know you'll never to... watch the movie the same I, way again. I, I but... need to <laughs> and desist the conversation because I don't want the curtain pulled back too far. There you I go. I don't want to dispel the magic. I just want it to, to work on screen. So I'm going to quit asking questions like that.
1: And I should point out, by the way, that it was you that asked me to come on your show. So if any bubbles have been burst here,
0: oh, you it's don't my have fault? anyone to blame but yourself. Yeah, That's okay. That's okay. Um, Totally fine. All right. Uh, uh, Defense Dad or Travis, do either of you have anything else that you want to ask Larry? Because I, it's time we start wrapping things up anyway. Not because he's picking on me, but <laughs> because I, I promised him I wouldn't, wouldn't take all of his night away from him. Dare I say I just,
3: you're getting a little gun shy, John? Wow. <laughs> so, Larry, last one is, did you guys also work on Sicario? We worked on Sicario both one and two. Thank you. Okay, Cause yes. that was that's another one of my favorite gun films. So that's and I'd like that's to another one that got me that got me wanted to go buy another Hollywood gun. So yeah,
1: yeah. And I'll point out too that um, again for people that maybe don't read the credit rolls, but you should. Uh, Sicario one and two. The, the prop master on that was a gentleman named Keith Walters, who was also the prop master on Lincoln, which is an Academy Award winning film, as well as No Country for Old Men. And so there's, there is a professional collaboration with the same prop masters over and over again. And when you start recognizing those names, you start going like, wow, I really enjoyed this film. I can't quite put my finger on it. Why? And you realize, oh, it's the same prop master. It's the same director of photography. It's the same on-set armorer. These are the guys that are pr- putting things together and providing you the entertainment that speaks specifically to you. Do, Sicario do great films by the way
0: do those positions in the crew typically um does a director find a, a dp or or a a prop master that that they would like to work with and typically make several movies together Then is that how that works
1: absolutely like i said it's it's a collaborative team effort and um you know if, if everything you know it's truly trying to capture lightning in a bottle twice in a row when you're you're making films. And, And there's been films out there where the first one's been great and the sequel was horrible and you just never developed it into a franchise, right? And it's because you weren't able to capture that magic. And when you get a crew, and it's not just director of photography and director and prop master, it's everybody down to like the catering down to craft service, the grips, the electricians, the people that do the lighting, the wardrobe people, when you get a team that works well together and was able to produce a successful project, you want to maintain that team. You really do. And uh, you see things like was mentioned earlier, um, like Marvel movies, you look at things like uh, Michael Mann projects, or the string of you know, Mission Impossible movies that seem to be, you know, some of them are better than others, but these things seem to be successful time after time after time. It's because they've developed kind of a system. We know what we want. We know who can give it to us. And so they keep coming back. That, that's how we have our repeat business at ISS. We, you know, we provide a good service from the gun itself that works well, to the armor that we send out on set with that can interact well with the rest of the crew, um, all the way through to the post-production where we do a lot of post-production sound recordings, not with blanks, but with live ammunition so that the soundtrack of the movie or the soundtrack of the video game is as accurate as possible. So um, we we pride ourselves at ISS that we're a one-stop shop and we call it, you know, we can provide everything from rocks to rockets and it's not just the item itself. It's the sound effect of the item. It's the visual of the item. It's the digital scanning of the item. And, uh, thank goodness we've, we've been successful so far and hopefully
0: we will continue to be. That's awesome. Very, very cool. All right. Well, before I, I wrap things up, I've just got two things. Okay. And I don't know that you're going to be able to help me, but I'm going to throw these out there. First of all, If you can get me one of those uh, six shooters that never runs out, I would love to have one. And I think probably everybody would.
1: Personal message me after the blog and I'll take care of you.
0: Okay, right. Um, And then next up is uh, just one other bone. And and I don't know if you're personal friends with Taylor Sheridan, but um, loved watching Sons of Anarchy. Hated hearing all the Glock 17s cock the hammer. So <laughs> I don't know if, if you know the right person to get that word out in, in the uh, in post where let's not put yeah. all the sounds in. I get it. I, I understand dramatic effect. Same I, reason you know why what? Seen... every cop gets out of their cruiser and then cocks their pistol. Yeah. Something.
1: I mean, here, here's the comparison. It. It and makes it's a good sense. point. It's a good point. It is a story point. It's dramatic, <laughs> you know, input. But it's kind of like, you're a police officer that's getting out of his cruiser. You're going into a building where you know a dangerous criminal is inside the building. It's a fact; he's in there, and you've got to go in there and get him or her out. And you walk through the entire building searching for the criminal without a round in the chamber of your shotgun, right? And it's not until the last minute you go, "I really mean it," and you know you wouldn't do that, would you? In in real life but you're telling the story and it's a dramatic moment. And so that's where you have to kind of go, you know, into a little bit of, of suspension of
0: reality. Sure. Um, and that's how we know it just got real.
1: You, you got to remember too, John. Uh, and I, and I hope you, you, the rest of you guys will, would, would kind of believe me and, and agree with me. We, and when I say we, the people in the, the, the firearms industry, we're a minority, of the viewing public of these television shows and movies, the majority of the people watching these films will never know that a Glock doesn't have a hammer. They're right. going there because they like watching movies. They're not necessarily into the gun part of it. And and the films and the television shows have to cater to the majority of the viewing public. Oh, sure. So, you know, it you, you just got to take it with a little bit
0: of a grain of, grain of salt. No, absolutely true. Um all right I think those are all the questions that I was going to ask anyway. Um so uh, real quick here before we wrap things up I do again want to mention uh that uh, tonight's episode was brought by Writing Shotgun with Charlie. Writing Shotgun with Charlie is a great interview show that brings you right into the heart of intimate conversations where you can be a fly on the rearview mirror. The show's host, Charlie Cook, talks freedom, firearms, and anything related with guests from all over the country. Filmed within the safe confines of Charlie's stagecoach, passengers open up about their lives and what is on their mind. Writing Shotgun with Charlie is available on YouTube, GunStreamer, and the OpsLens app and most popular podcast platforms, including SVRN. Uh, visit Charlie on the web at ridingshotgunwithcharlie.com, and be sure to check out his cool swag page with all new Writing Shotgun with Charlie t-shirts, stickers, patches. And more. And like I said before, all kinds of things are always getting added on there. Charlie was another one that we got to hang out with this weekend down in Texas. Um, speaking of, and you have an encyclopedic knowledge of, of these firearms and these films, <laughs> apparently. Uh, could could be an uh, occupational hazard. I don't know. But speaking of encyclopedic knowledge, um, we also got to hang out with Ashley Lebinski this weekend. Yep. She is... Oh my gosh, she's forgotten more about uh, firearms than I'll ever learn. In fact, the four of us will probably ever learn, but uh, super sweet. Yeah,
1: lady. Ashley, she's a good friend of mine, and she's she did a wonderful, wonderful uh, redesign of the Cody Firearms Museum. Uh, not that it wasn't great before, but she's taken it you know, to a completely different level. Danny, who's the curator there now, same thing. Uh, if you're ever in the area, you should stop by and see the Cody Firearms Museum. Uh, but yeah, again, you know, we're, we, we're traveling in circles that are kind of rarefied circles, John, that the, the,
2: the you know, people
1: you know we're professionals and and it's hard to come by these people and when you meet someone like Ashley, you know,
0: or or Dan or someone like that, it's it, they're standouts. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. Yeah, in fact that was part of her presentation was how she's she's working in and what she does is such a niche that she really has no peers because there aren't that many people who are both museum curators and yep. firearms experts. Uh, so she she's all you know she's almost one of a kind um and I was I was very does. proud
1: by the way uh when she did the revamp of the museum they have kind of like an educational section there mm-hmm. and they run a continuous loop of some stuff from Hollywood weapons oh, cool. and we the outdoor channel and the the people that work on the show itself and everything we're just extremely honored to have that up there and to think that you know as as all the visitors come through the museum. They see, you know, some of the work that we do and get, we get to explain stuff in this little clip that runs through. And all that was, you know, some of Ashley's brain children for that, that redesign of the museum.
0: That's awesome. And, and you're right. There really aren't that many people that, that walk in more than, how do I say this Walk in, in both worlds or more than one world. Yep. Um, and that's actually something, I don't know if I can get a whole week's episode out of it, but um, I've got you this week. And when I was down at Amcon, this is a group of some of the the biggest names in the U- United States as far as Second Amendment advocacy. And I yep. you know, I mentioned Larry Zanoff's name, and with with all due respect, I mean, Cheryl and Ashley were the two that knew who who you were without me having to mention some of the things that you've done. And uh, um, but what's also crazy is I turned around and said, next week, I've got a few, uh, a few hunters coming on the show who, who work in television, Melissa Bachman from Winchester's deadly passion Mm -hmm. is going to be one of our guests. And, and again, it's one of those things where the, the two a world does not know the, the TV world. Um, there are a few crossovers, like maybe, well, Chris Chang would be one who's both TV and, and second amendment. Um, maybe some of the guys from guns and ammo TV uh, possibly, but for the most part, I mean, everything is so compartmentalized even within yeah. the gun world in the, in the, the gun enthusiast or firearm owners world where there's competition people and there are hunters and there are collectors and there are, are uh, advocates and there are activists and, and everybody kind of does their own thing. And I wish there was a way to cross pollinate more.
1: Well, even, I, I, even, think, I, I think, I think, cross-pollination is great. And I think shows like what you're doing is part of the effort that helps that cross-pollination, but you got to remember too, that that diversification is kind of the beauty of our interest in the firearms world, whether you're interested, interested just from the historical aspect as, as someone who goes to every museum that you can find, whether you're a fan of action movies or video games, and you get a lot of your information through there, but each little thing like that sparks enough of your interest for you on your own to go dig and learn more. And if it does that, then I think it doesn't matter whether it was movies or museums or competition or whatever. It did its purpose in kind of spreading this around.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I went to Amcon. Actually, uh, I'm, I'm a board member for Nebraska firearms owners association and, and oh, cool. NFOA sent me a, um, as I'm director of media for for the organization, and so that's one of the things that we want to do is bring people together. I want all of Nebraska's hunters and collectors and competitive shooters to to all come together. And it's so hard to get people to you know get out of their comfort zone and write a letter to their senator that says, "Hey, you know our liberties as Americans are being trampled to death here, and there's just not enough people." doing anything about it yet. And the reason that I can say that confidently and and I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but, but I kind of am, but it's also because they keep taking more of my freedoms away, which means I know that not enough people are speaking out. If we could get even a couple million of America's gun owners to stand up and be counted and say, not one more inch, I'm not going to give up anything else. Then those Congress critters would listen but
1: I I think that's kind of happening. It's starting to thank goodness
0: with, with the last 18 months, we've seen more firearms sold than, you know, in a year than, than ever before. But again, it's just, we've, we've got, now we need to build that momentum and we need to keep it going. And
1: just, just keep one thing in mind, John, and this is something that people really don't realize, but in 1776, when this country fought a revolution for freedoms of, of a variety of different uh, types, it was even back then an extremely small percentage of the population yeah. that actually took part in the revolution. Everybody was happy to reap the, the benefits of it, but the people that that stand up and get counted in any century, uh, it's always a very small amount
0: that, that actually has to be kind of a point to that spear. Absolutely. And, and I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing, not only in Hollywood on, on films and TV shows with ISS, but, but the work that you're doing on outdoor channel to make guns fun and make, but, but always, I mean, for those of you who have not watched Hollywood Weapons. Uh, season five just kicked off on Outdoor Channel. Um, you you guys really need to go check that show out because not only are they fun, but again, I mean, the almost the star of the show. It's not a person; it's safety. Yeah, you 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 guys go to great strides to make sure that that uh, some of the behind the scenes people are are caught on camera. The guys and the and the well the men and women that are making the the range safe. Or, nope. or whatever is the case. That,
1: in fact, was the only reason that I agreed to be part of the show. Um, my wife will tell you, I hate having my picture taken. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like being in front of cameras or anything like that. And the main reason I agreed to be part of that show and that ISS agreed to be part of the show is because I said, if we're going to make this a show that shows firearms in a positive light, Mm-hmm. and all the safety and everything that goes into making a show with firearms. And by the way, Gun Stories with Joe Montana does an excellent job of it as well, as do most of the programs on Outdoor Channel. Um, that's why we're involved in it, because otherwise I, I wouldn't have my face on screen. I'm not dreaming about being a movie star or anything like that. I'm I, I, All I ever wanted to be was a gunsmith just leave me alone, let me sit at the bench and tinker, you know, with gun mechanisms. But clearly, you know, throughout life, we we all wind up in different places that we never planned on. But uh, my, my biggest pride in that show is that people come up just like you have just and said, say to us, I never realized how much effort went into a TV show or a movie or how much safety was involved. And people that come up and say they sit and watch the show with their children. Uh And so the children are learning about safety with firearms and things like that. That's one of my, my other than, you know, my wife of 33 years and my two children, that's like one of the proudest elements of my life that they're, they come up and they say, thank you for spotlighting, you know, all of that because we need more of
0: that. Yes. Yep. Absolutely true. And, And I'm just I'm glad that there are are networks like Outdoor Channel who are willing to to buck the current trend and not only feature firearms, but feature responsibly used firearms and people who who not only know how to use them, but they they actually take time to talk about being responsible with them. I mean, it's just It's great. I wish more people watched Outdoor Channel because it's not all about, you know, somebody that's that's catching a fish or shooting a deer. Although those are two things I love to do as well, but I mean there there are so many great shows out there um, that are available on on the network. That well, you're you know, anything, so
1: podcasts like what you're doing right now help spread that around, and I'm, and hopefully there'll be some people that listen in into you tonight that maybe never watched you know stuff on Outdoor mm-hmm. Channel, but then they w- they'll go in and look into it, and
0: that just increases the viewership. So absolutely, thank you for absolutely. highlighting that the the more viewers the more sponsors the more sponsors the the longer and better the show can go so or can get so please do that um and and I tell you what before we sign off I just want you to know that uh I will keep the secret safe I know on Hollywood weapons you typically play the straight man yep. and and you always seem to be very very um exasperated and just have very very thin patience for Terry's antics um but you've been nothing but gracious. Even the fact that we had to reschedule tonight, um, a lot of you out there don't know this, but but Larry is one of the sweetest, uh, most gracious people that I've ever conversed with. Yeah, I, doesn't I, know I, me from Adam. I, I do.
1: I do have a reputation to hold up here, so please don't go that far. So I'll
0: never tell anybody <laughs> that you're actually a nice guy. You're secret. Well, I appreciate that, John. Me.
1: <laughs> I, I really appreciate that, and you know it is. Um... Again, I, I don't have any aspirations to be a television or movie star, but yes, I am the kind of the straight man on, on the show and Terry's little bit of the local yokel kind of guy, the goofball and everything. Um, but uh, everyone in that network and on that show are just the highest level of professionals, uh, the nicest people to work with, uh, as are most of the people in this industry that I've had the privilege to To be involved with you, you included. So uh, it is a pleasure to work with them. And I thank you so much for for inviting me on the show. I'm so sorry that we had some uh, technical difficulties um, at the beginning, Uh, but uh, hopefully you'll be able to take care of that with some kind of rebroadcast later on.
2: Yeah, and i uh, i'm
1: always happy to come back on if you ever want me again feel free to touch base with me and if i'm available i'll be happy to to chat with you and hopefully someday we'll
0: get to meet each other in person that would be amazing absolutely and you're welcome anytime that that uh, that you want to you want to join us absolutely open invitation there you're welcome at my fire anytime pal appreciate but, that uh, real quick here before we sign off we're going to go to the list and Oh, it's so good to have my bride back with us. (laughs) All right. So we, uh, we've got a little bit smaller list tonight, but hopefully we're going to grow back. Taking a month off of doing the show um, really puts a damper in people's schedule and coming back on a different night and a different time. um, Everybody's going to find us again. I know they will, especially with, with uh, some of the the shows that we've got coming up. So tonight we had Pat Hirsch, Scott 79, Patriot in the Dark, Defense Dad, Tacos and French Fries Making Us Hungry, Agorizer, DJ Play Nice, Gunpowder Beauty, Mike, Vash Matrix. So uh, thank you all for for joining us and commenting out there in the live chat. If you're watching this on replay, um, if you're watching this on Facebook, it's going to be replay, obviously, because of the technical difficulties. But um, here in another day or two from – this is Thursday night, so by – by uh, Friday night or maybe Saturday, I'll I'll be able to post this up on Facebook on both pages and and uh, make sure that, that Larry gets that link as well to help share it. So,
1: and John, if you oh, if you do repost here. if you do repost that and you wind up getting questions uh, after the fact from your listeners and everything, feel free to forward those questions to me and I'll be happy to answer them. And then you can, you know, give them those answers online at a
0: later date. Perfect. Very cool. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, if if you're not out there live, please drop those comments down below anyway. We want to, we want to know your comments. Good, bad, uh, even the ugly ones. You've got a, you've got a place to share them. Uh so yep, yeah, Gizzard Gary's out there uh joining us as well. Better late than never. Um so uh so real quick, I just want to again. Larry, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening. And I know that the hours that you spend at work um, and having a couple of jobs, I understand myself. I mean, when you get time at home to spend with your family, that's more precious than almost any commodity could be. So the fact that you've given us some of your time and that Mrs. Zanoff has given us some of your time or some of her time with you, we appreciate you. We appreciate her. um, And everything that, uh, that you've done for us tonight. So, On behalf of Defense Dad and Travis P11, on behalf of Sand Hill Sweetheart and myself, and and most importantly, on behalf of Larry and Mrs. Anoff, uh, thank you all for watching. We are going to go ahead and sign it off. You guys have been awesome. Drop those comments uh, down in the chat section later on share the heck out of the link, please. If you haven't liked the the YouTube channel, go ahead and like it. If you haven't liked us on Facebook, do that as well. Uh, But please share. If if you want to support us financially, there are a couple ways to do it. You can see in the description of the video. But more importantly, if you want to support us, just share, help us grow. That's all that we uh, ask of you. It doesn't take any money and just a, a couple ounces of effort to click a button so uh mash that share button thanks everybody for being here we love you god bless you but you know what time it is you've got to get off my lawn